Welcome to Oaks Church, where we grow great lives and build big people. Thank you for checking out our podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this life-changing message from Pastor Joel Scrivener. For more information, visit us online at oakschurch.com or follow us on social media at Oaks Church Texas. Oh, this is awesome. This is like such a fun journey we're on. I love this. I'm so excited. And I love seeing a lot of people that I've known for a while. And there's so many people I don't know. So like, if I dork out and be like, can y'all please wear name tags? Because my memory is uber bad. Hey, buddy. Sorry, I didn't know you were in town. Anyway, <laughs> um, this is sort of off. It's oh, I don't want to pray yet, but I wanted to say, while Tiffany was um, leading worship and mentioning about, you know, um, just kind of where we are, we're in a school and just having um, kind of like a childlike faith going on right now. And so as we were worshiping, I just saw the Lord say, you know, there are a lot of people maybe that are having a hard time right now, just feeling like, or feeling stuck and what you've been believing for. You're just really waiting, ready for it to happen. Like you're believing, you're believing, you're believing. And sometimes you just want to go like, forget it. I'm done. I want to, I want to give up on this. And it really dashes your faith. And so those of you who have kids or, um, or even a lot of the girls in here when you were little, do you remember dancing with your dad on like at a wedding or something, you know, and you step on his feet, right? Cause you're just out there being goofy. You don't know what to do. And he's like, step on my feet. I want to lead you and I want to guide you. I want to carry the weight. I'm going to show you the way I'm going to take the steps and all you need to do is hold on. And so that's just what I felt in my spirit earlier is like, um, I think everybody's there. Like, I don't care if we're pastors or not. There's just things that you've been believing for. And sometimes you're like, you know what? Like, this has been so long, like what's going on? And you feel like maybe that wasn't God or maybe, you know, so Anyway, the Lord was just telling me in that area, just take, let me take the weight. Let me guide you and lead you. And all you have to do is hang on and just don't let go. So anyway. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, God. All right. <laughs> do I have lipstick on now? <clears throat> Thank you. Great job, babe. Um, He's so good. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. Father, we thank you that we are your people. A church is not a building. A church is your people that you call out together. You fit them together like lively stones. You align them underneath authority and you align them connected to the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. Together we go on a journey following you, following your voice. Father, just as Jennifer mentioned earlier, God, let us just hold on to you as our daddy God. Lead us on a journey. Lead us on a trip. Each and every one of us, as we walk together and as we walk individually in our own personal lives, lead us on this journey and give us confidence. Confidence that comes from the Father. Identity that comes from the Father. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Is that an, we got an amen back there? That's awesome. 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 Um, the worst service I ever did in my whole life was a youth service. And I had some 
crazy idea, Brandon was there, uh, that I would have a petting zoo on stage behind me while I spoke. Every time I would make a pause, the sheep would go, bah, really loud. The horse was not potty trained and went multiple times. I preached for 12 minutes and closed the service. It was the worst service ever. So it doesn't bother me one bit uh, with some baby noises. I like baby noises. It's way better than sheep and uh, horse things happening. So, and thank God the internet did not exist back then. There was no YouTube. There's no proof. My, would have, my reputation would have been over, Eric, forever. I would have been that guy. Uh, so anyway, it's terrible. Today we're going to finish our series, Core Values, and uh, we're going to jump right into this today talking about the fourth value, which is give. And this is a very powerful principle, a principle that I was raised on, a principle that I'm proud to say our church believes in very strongly. Today is our seventh Sunday. Our seventh Sunday. It's been beautiful. Uh, we've been averaging over 300 people. Uh, this is spring break and it's also spring forward. So I'm not sure what our numbers will be today, but whatever it is, it's beautiful and we're grateful for it. Uh, you have been such a powerful and generous, uh, er, generous people. The generosity has been outrageous with this church and it has really moved my heart to see how faithful and how passionate people are to see something brand new happen. It's been incredible. I don't know what it was like for you growing up in the church or not growing up in the church. I don't know what you were taught growing up. Uh, I was raised in a very spiritual family. My parents uh, taught me every, every time I got a birthday gift, I was to tithe on that. Everything, any money that passed through my hands, I was to tithe on it. I was taught to be generous. I was taught to, uh, to serve and volunteer and all these different things. Uh, so I was serving and volunteering as a kid in kids' church. And that's just how I grew up. That's, that was the way of life. So beautifully enough, how that plays out is when I met Jennifer, I met Jennifer volunteering. She was volunteering at an event uh, that I was at. I saw her and was inspired to volunteer the next night. And then we volunteered at a hot chocolate booth together, and they had to send chaperones around to check on these two 19-year-old kids that were supposed to be volunteering, serving chocolate, hot chocolate, but we were very uh, interested in each other. And uh, so, but literally, our whole, our whole relationship was built volunteering in kids' ministry together, volunteering in youth ministry together. We, 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 we were giving of ourselves to the body of Christ and to the people around us, and it's just part of the culture that we grew up in, and I'm grateful that that's already the culture of this this church. Uh, in just a few weeks, we have almost, I believe, a hundred volunteers signed up. That's amazing, right? A hundred volunteers in just a couple of weeks. Uh, as we've walked through these different core values, the first one was encounter, and we're talking about creating a perpetual lifestyle of encountering God. And then we talked about aligning, aligning with Jesus Christ as our Lord, but also aligning with the people that he brings us in our life. And the greatest gifts that come to us in life are his people. Then last week, uh, we talked about growing and the importance of personal growth and not becoming stagnant, that we want to have the river of life flowing through us, that we are like trees planted by the river. We're not potted, we're planted. Now, interestingly enough, we're in a different location last week than we were this week, but we're still planted because we're planted in him, we're planted in his purpose, we're planted together as a body, and it doesn't matter if we're in a wedding venue or if we're in a school or if we're in a park or wherever we are 
are, whatever the Lord shows us, we're on a journey together and we're trying to figure this out and uh, we'll feel this service out and maybe we'll have a powwow afterwards and see what you guys think about how it went in this environment because we want to find the right place to call home for the next couple of years or so, whatever, while we're building out these next steps. And I've got exciting things that I'll tell you about. As we are growing as a baby church, we're growing very rapidly in a lot of different ways. So I've got some exciting news to share with you. But today we're going to talk about give. And I don't know how you grew up. In fact, just using the word give in church might make some of you get a little nervous, right? Because there, people can have a bad perception of church and money. It's one of the most... Uh, caustic things, or it's one of the things that makes people the most uncomfortable to talk about money in church, in certain churches. I don't think so in this church because of the way that you guys give. It, I don't think anybody is nervous about talking about money. In fact, at your own houses, you probably talk about money a lot because we all understand that money is what it takes to make a household work. We have to have money. We have to have finance. It's the same thing in God's house. There has to be money. There has to be finance because there are lots of things that have to happen. If not for finance, we couldn't have 50 kids. Kids, uh, show up at, at a house and have a house party and all that. We couldn't have uh, all these kids. I think we're averaging about uh, 50 or 60 kids in kids' church and all that different stuff. The things that happen, they happen because of a currency, a flow, the river of provision that comes through. And so we're all a part of that. But I want to talk about why it's important and how it's important specifically today. And I'm going to read a little thing that I wrote that's on our website as one of our core values. And this is the core value of Give. It says the ultimate goal of Oaks Church is to raise up leaders that give the best of themselves to God and to the world around them. We absolutely hold to the culture of generosity demonstrated by Jesus Christ and look for every opportunity to give financially, through volunteerism, and with charitable outreaches and community engagement. We believe and live the words of Jesus, knowing that our calling is to be the light of the world and the city on a hill. Oaks Church members seek to serve our families, our community, and our world around us at all times and with all that we have. Oaks people live to give. Amen? Amen. We live to give. This is a principle and, and, and it's part of an identity of who we are. I have the privilege and the pleasure of growing up having very generous parents. I watched my parents. Everywhere we went, my parents would buy meals for people. My, my parents would volunteer. They would serve. They would help people. They literally just gave themselves everywhere we went. I remember one time coming home, and I had the blessing and the curse of being a teenager with severe grass allergies, so I couldn't mow the yard. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> And for the last 20 years, I've hired someone to mow the yard uh, around my house. And thank you, Jesus, for that as well. But I remember coming home and watching my dad. And he'd already mowed. He'd spent the whole morning mowing our yard in, in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. And yards were big there, right? It wasn't like Plano where everyone gets like enough for it. There's a kiddie pool area and a little spot of grass. And that's, you know, it, it was big yards. And my dad had already mowed this massive yard that we have. And I'm off doing who knows what and coming back from the pool or something in the summer, and I see my dad mowing this lady's yard across the street. She was a single mom. Her husband had left her with two daughters, and her name was, was uh, they were the Allen family, and Debbie was on her own. And I, I, I literally, I'm like, Dad, what are you doing? Why, why are you mowing her grass? And her grass was tall, like probably two weeks overdue, and he's fighting through it. And I said, is she paying you? And, and he looked at me, he said, no, Joel. 
Sometimes you do things just because it's the right thing to do. And I never forget that moment, a teachable moment to a 14-year-old who there was no way in heck was going to mow a yard, especially if it was not for money, right? But it was the right thing to do. That's how I grew up. That's how I was raised. And I know that not everyone had those type of parents that taught them those type of qualities. But I can tell you that generosity is, is, is this close to godliness. Because generosity is the expression of love. There is no such thing as love that's stingy. It's not love. And God is love. So Christians that are stingy should not call themselves Christians. Because they're a very bad representation of God. They're a very bad representation of Jesus. Christians that are stingy aren't, they're not, the whole idea of Christian is to be Christ-like. And we should be, as the people of God, the most generous people that we could possibly be. And it's about way more than money. Generosity is way bigger than money. Generosity is about your time. Generosity is about your attention. Sometimes just giving your attention is the most valuable thing you can give. Your time, your presence. See, in, in this world that we live in, and I can be the, the biggest uh, um, violator of this principle that I'll mention right now, is that we live in a world where everything happens on, on this little piece of whatever it's called. I don't even know what they're made out of, glass and wires and whatever, plastic and whatnot. And we can, we can walk around our world. How many times have we been in restaurants and we see people and everyone in the restaurant is on their phone and they're sitting with other people and they're all on their phones. And we're with people, but we're not with people. And I can be just as guilty as anybody else. But we've got to give ourselves to the people around us because you are the greatest gift that you have to give. See, not, a lot, not everybody believes that. I happen to believe that. The, my middle name, Nathaniel, I used to say in, it means none, none your business, but it's actually Nathaniel. It means gift of God. That's what it means, the gift of God. So when I met Jennifer, that's what I told her. I'm just joking. <laughs> just joking. But, but, but the reality is true. You're the greatest gift that you have to give to the people in your life. He put things in you specifically to share with them. And if we're stingy with our time, if we're stingy with our attention, if we're stingy with, with our gifts, our talents, if we're stingy with our finances, if we're stingy with forgiveness, oh my goodness. Some people can hold on to things for a long time. If we're stingy with forgiveness, we're robbing the people that God has called us to bless. Stingy with mercy. See, I want you to see this passage. This passage, Luke chapter 6, verse 37, is a very famous passage that has been used about money and giving. And it, it is about that, but it's about way more than that, guys. Generosity is way bigger than money. Money is just the easiest part to do math on. Money is the easiest part to quantify, but generosity has to do with every part of who you are. It's really hard to do the math on mercy. It's hard, it's hard to quantify uh, being gracious, but it's easy to figure out the math on money. And so it's a starting point for people with generosity, but then it should spill over into every other part of your life. This is what Jesus taught. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn Luke 6, 37, and you will not be condemned. So you're seeing sowing and reaping is the pattern here. Judge and you get judged. Condemn and you get condemned. Forgive 
and you will be forgiven. Does anybody want to be forgiven really fast when they blow it? Okay. Anybody ever a little bit slow to forgive other people? We've got to be quick to forgive, quick to give mercy, quick to set people free because we want to be free ourselves. I don't know why I'm talking about this specifically this morning because it's not really a part of what I was really trying to focus on, but there may be some of you in here that you have a pattern of unforgiveness in your life. And unforgiveness is one of the most deadly sins you can have because you all want forgiveness. We all want forgiveness from God and we don't want God to string us along and make us earn his forgiveness. We want God to be quick to forgive. The Bible says if we're faithful to confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We want God to be quick to forgive us, but sometimes we're slow to forgive other people. And it's so important, guys, that we move to a place of being quick to forgive because the Bible is very clear that if you don't forgive, you can't be forgiven by God. And if you walk in unforgiveness... There's even references that mention that your prayer life and your communication with God is hindered because your unforgiveness is blocking the signal. I don't know how that speaks to you today, but if if you would for me, just for a second, if you would just close your eyes and allow the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, show every individual, if there's anyone that they need to forgive, show them right now, let their face pop up before them. Father, give them the courage right now to forgive. You may have someone in your heart right now that hurt you so deeply, that wounded you so deeply, that even every time you think you're, you might have, when you saw their face pop up right now, you got angry because what they did was so horrific. Can I tell you, I understand that. I've been hurt like that. But forgiveness is a prison that you put yourself in. Or unforgiveness is a prison that you put yourself in and forgiveness is the key that will set you free. Would you just forgive again today? Forgive again today. Forgive them. Release them. Bless them. Be quick to forgive. See, we can, we can go through life and we can say, well, I, I've forgiven them. I've forgiven them. I've forgiven them. I've already forgiven them. I, I had a cousin and I've, I've been very open with this story because it's something that I was very ashamed of as, as a, a young person. Um, but I realized that it, it was a key to set other people free. And early in my ministry at 25 and 6, I began to openly share about a cousin that had molested me. And it had triggered a cycle and a spiral of darkness in my life. And the hatred that I had for this person was violent and venomous. And, and I had, at about 17, 18, I'd begun to realize that if I don't get this thing dealt with in my own heart, it's going to destroy me because I had so much rage and so much anger. And I began to constantly, every time I would think I'd forgive, forgive, I'd release them, forgive them, forgive them, release them, forgive them, forgive them. And, and I have, I, to this day, I haven't seen this person since I was a child. Um, but a few years ago, and here I am, I'm a, I'm a pastor, I'm a spiritual leader, uh, whatever. And, and all of a sudden, I see this little collage of our family pop up on Facebook, and I see this person's face for the first time in probably 20 years. And the stuff that came out of me in that moment, the, the rage that came out of me in that moment terrified me because I thought that was dealt with long ago. But the reality is there are people that can wound you so deeply 
that you don't mean to it, but you hold on to it on some level. And, and it, will, it will poison you from the inside out. And I want to encourage you. For me, in that moment, I'm like, oh my God, I did not know that was still in me. I began to forgive and forgive and forgive that person again. We've got to get free, guys. We've got to get free. Uh, in fact, I, I feel very strongly, I believe next, um, next week, I'm going to carry this theme on. I've got something brewing in my spirit uh, for next week, and I'm going to carry this theme on because I believe that this is a real key for someone uh, in this time of life. And any, listen, anytime you go through transitions, uh, every single one of us, we go through different transitions. Uh, all of us have gone through a transition to end up in, a, in an elementary school like this today, right? And when you go through transitions, there are, there are ways that you can be wounded going through transitions. And it's so important to walk in forgiveness. It's so important to walk in a pure heart. It's so important that, that, that we continuously purge the things out of our heart and, and declare and speak life and release people and love people because life is too short to keep nasty junk in our hearts. And what happens is we can be mad at one person but we're not even around that person anymore. We could, we could be mad at somebody that, that, that we haven't seen in, in years. But the anger and the unforgiveness for that person is reflected upon the people that we deeply love. And we can punish the people around us for something they didn't even do. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Watch this. A good measure. Press down shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You get to control through your generosity the amount of blessing that is reciprocated back into your life. That's a beautiful thing. See, a lot of us don't have control over how much we get paid from the company that we work with. But in God's economy... You have control over the level of blessing, over the level of provision that comes back into your life. And it's not just money. It's, it's judgment. It's condemnation. It's forgiveness. It's mercy. It's peace. It's all of it. You get to control what you receive back into your life. The seeds that you sow, the seeds of kindness, the seeds of gentleness, the seeds of joy, the seeds that you sow... You get to control not just the type of harvest you get, but you get to control the magnitude of the harvest that you get because of the measure that you use. This is a beautiful truth from Jesus that is way bigger than just money. But it's important to understand money. It's important to talk about that because money is extremely important to humans. If money is not important to you, then just give yours to Brandon he will receive it gladly. And his wife said, amen. They're very responsible with money. They will take care of your money and do good things with it, I promise. Okay? It's important to all of us. It's important to all of us. There's only one reason that money is important to God. And it's because money is a test of where your heart is. Jesus said, where your treasure is, or the Bible said in 2 Corinthians, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And that's why money is so important. That's why the Bible is full. Did you know that, the, that money is the number one subject in the Bible? Do you know that? 66 books in the Bible. 40 authors written over 1,400 years 
all, when you read it, it feels like every single book feels like it's, it's in the same voice because it was one spirit that wrote the books of the Bible. And the number one topic is money. Why? Because money is so important to humans. And because it's important to humans and because it steers humans, remember, it's the love of money that's the root of all evil, not money. Money is, money is atypical, okay? Money is not good or bad. Money is neutral, but your motives with it and your heart toward it and how much control you give it in your life determines whether it's good or bad in your life. And that's why God cares about money because he cares about your eternal soul. And there are actual verses in the Bible that I could read to you and show you that connect what you do with your money to where you spend eternity. Did you know that? You don't want to know about that. Proverbs 18, 16 says this, a gift opens the way and ushers the giver into the presence of the great. A gift opens the way. King James Version says, a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. Gifts open doors. Gifts open doors in your life. They open doors for your future. If you have a door that's closed before you, try giving a gift. Now, this passage, the way it reads in the King James Version, it says a man's gift makes room for him. And, and look, you could easily say, oh, well, that's talking about his talent, his ability. And you know what? And that's fine. You can use it that way because your gift, your talent, your ability is one of the ways that you express generosity. But the actual a Hebrew word here means offering or to give a physical gift or to give a present. That's the description in the Hebrew language. But that's totally fine for you to give it more meaning that you can give of yourself and your talent, your ability. But physical gifts open the way. They open a door. Imagine when I proposed to Jennifer if I did not have a physical gift involved. That might not have worked very well. I just chewed a piece of gum, Wrigley's, roll it up. Here you go, baby girl. Little foil ring. Nah, it's got to be a real gift, okay? And the measure of your love is connected to the measure of the gift. The measure of your love is connected to the measure of the gift. Gift opens a way. We're going to go into the story of Jacob, come back into the story. Uh, it was a beautiful thing how the Lord showed me that each one of our core values is connected into the story of Jacob because they're core values for the church, Oaks Church, that God is planting and God is building. He's done this, and it's been beautiful and, and, and fantastic to see it happen. But each part of the story, see, the story of Jacob is the first story of a people that were called out. It's the first story of the nation of Israel. Jacob was the one who got the new name, Israel, that you'll hear in just a moment. And, and it's, the, it's the first church, essentially. And so the story of Jacob has these four pillars in them, these values in them, from encountering God, to aligning with the right people, to going through a process of growth, and now to coming into a season of giving. If you remember the covenant that he made, Jacob, when he had the first encounter with God was, if you will protect me, if you will provide for me, if you will clothe me and feed me and bring me back to my father's land uh, after this journey, then you will be my God, and then I will be your people, and I will give you a tenth, the tithe, of everything that I own. 
So he made a covenant, a financial contract with God from the very first encounter. But then he goes on a 20-year journey. And there, he, he, for the first 14 years, he had no income. His income was four wives and about 11 children. That was his income during that period and no money. And so then he goes to Laban and he argues and he negotiates with Laban to finally make some money. And then he, as we discovered last week, he ends up, the Lord gave him a strategy, a supernatural strategy for business. And he ends up walking away and leaving Laban's land and on his way back to his home country with a massive amount of wealth, but he'd never had wealth before and he'd never had the opportunity to give. And now we find Jacob coming to his homeland and his runners that he had sent out ahead, his scouts that had gone out ahead to see what's going on because Jacob is coming with all of his family and all of his herds and it's this mass. He's, he's literally a baby nation that's traveling through the wilderness. So he has scouts going out to check and find out what's around us. And one of the scouts comes back and says, I came upon your brother Esau and he has 400 armed men and he's coming this way. Now Esau was the one who swore that when our father dies, I will kill you for stealing my inheritance. And that's the last time they'd spoken when Jacob ran for his life. And so where we pick up the story here is Jacob being terrified for his own life and for his own family. Watch this. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, look, Lord, you who said to me, watch, he goes back and he remembers the prophecies. Go back to your country and to your relatives and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff in my hand when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, watch him fight with prophecy, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. He spent the night there, and from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau. This is his first tithe. Watch this. 200 female goats and 20 male goats. 200 ewes or female sheep and 20 rams. 30 female camels with their young, so that's 60 camels, 40 cows and 10 bulls and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. Now watch how he said, that is a massive offering. That is a massive gift to, and there, there's, this is, this is his first, look, remember the covenant. If, Father, if you will bring me home safely, I'll give you a 10th of everything that I have. And this is his first. This is the first tithe, the first offering that he is giving in the new land to seal the covenant that he made with God from the very beginning. And it's massive. Hundreds of animals. Oh, literally, I just listed out over 500 animals to you. And this is instructions to his servants. Go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds, he instructed the one in the, in the lead. When my brother Esau meets you and asks, 
Who do you belong to and where are you going and who owns all these animals in front of you? Then you are to say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my Lord Esau and he, Jacob, is coming behind us. He also instructed the second and the third and all the others who followed the herds. Jacob, watch this, he set up (laughs) reoccurring giving. He set up perpetual giving from the very beginning. He set up that, that every, every time Esau would turn around, there's a new gift. There's a new gift. It's this one's even bigger. This one's even more valuable. This one's even more impressive. When you look through this, I mean, literally, if you look at it, he started with goats. Then he went to sheep. Then he went to camels. Then he went to bulls and cows. Then he went to uh, donkeys. Every single one of these has a different function. They have a different worth. They have a different prestige. They have a different purpose. Every single one of them. Some of them were vehicles. Some of them were food, right? Some of them were landscaping. The goats, they just landscape everything for you, whatever. It's all important. But he set it up perpetually so that Esau would have wave after wave after wave of gift coming in. Now, let me tell you something. This is a massive principle. If you will live your life setting up perpetual giving, you will live your life in perpetual harvest. You don't have to go through droughts. You don't have to go through droughts like some folk do. You can live your life sowing lots of different types of seeds into lots of different types of soil so that you can be in a perpetual place of harvest in your life because something is always in season. That is a very big principle. It may not be the season for figs. It may not be the season for grapes. It may not be the season for wheat, but there's something that's always in season. And if you sow in every season, you'll reap in every season. God is good. He instructed the second, the third, whatever. Your servant Jacob is coming. For he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts I am sending on ahead. Later when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. Now watch this. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him. But he spent the night at the camp. Listen, you're giving... You may think it's not that much, Joel, it's just a hundred bucks. It goes ahead of you. It's not that much, Joel, it's just 50. It's not that much, it's just a thousand. I wish I could do more, Joel. It's just, it's not that much. Listen, your gifts go on ahead of you and they are opening doors for you. They are making ways for you. Not just the gifts you give in the church. Thank you for your generosity in the church. I'm talking about the gifts that you give when you buy that guy coffee. The gifts that you give when you take that other mom out that's in the PTA with you and you and you go have whatever and get your nails done together. And next thing you know, you're sitting there and you've been giving these gifts, just these little moments of your time, these whatever. And all of a sudden, there's an opportunity for you to sow into their souls. Can I tell you, Can I tell you one of the companies that I've worked in for the last two years? For two years, I've worked in this company, and I've been this influence, and and the the president of the company knew that I was a pastor. Uh, The CEO of the company did not, and and, and he, I was hired from by the president because she knew I was a pastor, and she wanted that influence and that backup, and the CEO, if he had known at the time, he probably wouldn't have been interested because he doesn't like church at all. He had bad experiences growing up, but now he's got two years of this business coach helping him triple his business, and all of a sudden, he finds out 
what I also do in the other part of my life. And the last three times that I've hung out with the CEO, all three times we've talked about Jesus and he's asking questions. You see what I'm saying? Someone that was really closed off. Good guy, great guy. But just, you know what? That's your thing, not my thing. Now, three times, hey, last, yesterday, we, we talked for almost two hours, and at least, an, at least 45 minutes of it was about the church, about Jesus, about faith, about things like that, and he's just asking questions and asking questions and asking questions. And at one point, I thought, this is the first time about a month and a half ago, that all of a sudden, he starts asking questions about Jesus and faith. And I started getting, I'm like, oh my God, am I, am, I, I'm about to, am I about to get this guy saved right here? And I'm like, chill, Joel, settle down. Don't get, come on. Sometimes you can, sometimes you can go for, man, you got you, you to keep, keep the fishing line out there, right? You don't just yank the hook right away, you know? Just keep sowing the seed, Joel. Keep sowing the seed. And let's get to that, that place, right? But it's important, we don't know the gifts that we give. We don't know. And again, way bigger than money, guys. This is about your presence. This is about your time. This is about a lunch. This is about a dinner. This is about just giving of yourself and actually caring about other people. Loving other people that are different than you. Giving. It's big. And it brings great reward. Your gifts go before you. And they open doors for you. My question is, what doors do you want to open? See, Jacob, one of the doors that he wanted to open with his gifts was a perpetual encounter with Jesus, with God. He didn't know Jesus yet. He wanted a perpetual encounter with God, and he set up a deal from the very beginning. God, I'll make this financial contract with you, but I want more of these encounters. I want, I want you to be my God, and I'm your people, and I, I want this to be a regular thing. Now watch this. The very next thing that happened, after he sent these gifts in motion, he goes to lay down and go to bed, and he ends up wrestling with what he thought was an angel all night long. And he's wrestling, he's struggling, he's fighting with this angel. Uh, philosophers or, or theologians, scholars, biblical scholars, believe that he was actually wrestling with Jesus. It's called a theophany, uh, by, is what scholars call that. A theophany is when Jesus showed up in the Old Testament before he ever came in the flesh, before he ever came and was born as a baby. He's eternal, right? He's God. He's the spoken word of God. He, we understand that? And so Jesus, throughout different places in Scripture, uh, scholars believe that he actually showed up and, and presented himself. And you see that in this passage because after wrestling, he wrestles Jacob. This is how mighty Jacob is. Jacob went UFC with Jesus and Jesus begged for mercy. Jacob was a bad dude, man. He's a tough dude. Je Jesus in this passage or the theophany, the expression of God in a physical manifestation says, let go of me because the day is breaking. And Jacob says, not until you bless me. Not until you, come on, some of you need to get that kind of faith. Not until you bless me. I know the gifts that I'm giving, the things that I'm sending, I'm fulfilling my end of the contract and I need a blessing from you. I want to encounter you. I want to experience you. I will not let go until you bless me. You have got to encounter me and I won't let go. And that moment, that tenacity is when the, 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 in the, in the flesh expression of Jesus says, you are no longer called Jacob. Now your name is Israel for you have struggled with God and man and have prevailed. 
failed. What a great blessing. What a great blessing that he received. And now watch this. This is cute. This is cute. Jacob says, now tell me your name. And, and it wasn't time for Jesus to tell his name yet. He had, a, he had a few hundred more years before he could say his name. So he said, why are you asking my name? And he disappeared. <laughs> but he, before he did, he touched. He's like, I can't tell you that yet. Don't ask, my, don't ask about my name. I'm giving you your name. That's what you need to be concerned about. You can't hear my name yet, right? It will be released in time. But he touches his hip. And Jacob walked with a limp for the rest of his life. And to this day, Jews do not eat the tendon of any animal that's connected to the hip in reverence for Jacob and his struggle with God. And then Jacob called that place Peniel, which means, uh, I'm sorry, uh, so let me make sure I say what the actual name of it means and I don't mess that up. Peniel saying it is because I saw, watch this, I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. Jacob saw God face to face. He wrestled with God in a physical form, face to face, and lived. See, it's important, and I know so many of you are in different struggles and you're walking through different things. I'm so blessed. I'm so blessed by a family that's walking through something in, this, in, in our church, and, and they're, they're walking, and they're struggling through it, and they're fighting through it. And a couple weeks ago, I had lunch with the husband, and he brought me a, an envelope that his kids had colored on and drawn pictures on. And as a family, they had made a decision that they were going to give a gift to their new church. And it was massively significant for them. They have a property that they're trying to sell. And because of what they believe, because of their faith, the covenant, the contract they've made with God, they said this entire, the entire profit, every bit of profit, and it's a very big amount of they said, we want this to be a seed. And they wrote this very, very large check and said, this is our seed to Oaks Church because we believe that Oaks Church is a part of our destiny. Mm-hmm. And, and we're not gonna, we, we wanna move this house, wanna sell this house, but we don't want the money from it. We had plans for it, but we know that our destiny is connected to this church. And will you pray and believe for this house to sell because we want to receive the blessing of this church and the seed that we can sow. I'm tell, I, was, I was almost crying at lunch. I told my wife about it. I have the envelope. They're like, look, the house, hold it. Don't cash it yet. Pray for the house to sell. Let me tell you, that person's gift is going out before them. You understand? A gift like that is going before them. It's opening doors for them. It's making a way where there is no way. Amen? So important that we understand. Am I out of time? Do you want me to keep going? Come on. For real? Okay. I'm going to read a story about Barnabas. Do you guys know who Barnabas was? Barnabas, he was the uh, apostle that was partners with, with Saul. In fact, Barnabas was the one that went and got Saul and brought him, and he was the gatekeeper. He was the opening. He opened the door for the apostle Saul, but Barnabas started as just a dude in the church, just a guy in the church. And I want to read you his story. This is Acts chapter 4, verse 32. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that they had any of their possessions that was their own, but they shared everything they had with great power. The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no need or no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales, and they put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had any need. And Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, 
which means the son of encouragement, sold a field that he owned and he brought the money and he put it at the apostles' feet. 2,000 years ago, somebody did exactly what this other family did. And that gift that went before, a man named Barnabas opened up his future and he became one of the most powerful apostles of that time. He, as I said, was the gatekeeper for Paul, a super apostle, that no one would have given Paul a chance if it wasn't for the son of encouragement, Barnabas. But Barnabas went on that when Paul had a disagreement and didn't like Mark, who was John Mark, who would later write the gospel of Mark, and Paul says, nope, he's dead to me. He's worthless to me. And Barnabas then stood up, went nose to nose with Paul and said, no, that's my cousin and he's valuable and I see greatness in him. And because of that faithfulness, John Mark still continued in ministry and went on to write the gospel of Mark that we know and love. Come on, I'm talking about somebody that moves into a place of understanding that giving is not about, look, it's not just about a building. It's not just about what, it's about what I'm opening for the kingdom and for my family and for my future and for my lineage and for the destiny that God has for me. That's the power that's connected to generosity. It's the power that's connected to generosity. Why is giving so important? Giving is so important, number one, because it reflects the very image of God in the earth. Your generosity reflects the image of God in the earth. When you give to people, when they don't deserve it, when they can't repay you, when you have no strings attached. Jesus died for you with no strings attached. Jesus died for you in faith, believing that you would be moved by his sacrifice and you would put your faith in him. With no strings attached, he died. He gave for God so loved that he gave. Why is giving so important? Giving proves our heart to God. It proves our heart. Father, this is where my heart is. This is where my heart is. I'm giving to you. I'm giving to your people. Finally, why is giving so important? Giving plants seeds for God's future in your life and the people around you. Giving plants seeds. See, we talked last week, and this is what the Lord is. I was preparing. And my father, what is this message about? He goes, it's all about the fruit, Joel. It's all about the fruit. It's all about the fruit. Remember? Whoever is planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the court of their God. Jesus said, if you abide in me, if you plant yourself in me, you will bear much fruit. If you don't bear fruit, you'll be cut off and thrown in the fire. We've got to be, it's got to be about the fruit. But why is fruit important? Fruit's great. You can eat it, taste good. That's awesome. But fruit is actually the protection and the nourishment for the seed. Fruit protects and nourishes the seed because it's all about the future harvest and the gifts that we give and the way that we love and the way that we serve. We're bearing fruit. We're bearing fruit and we're planting seeds for a harvest that's big, guys. Your gift is going before you. It's opening a door for you. It's making a way. I'm going to stop there. And I want to pray for you today. I believe there are some of you, some of you businessmen may have some major deals working on and you want God's favor on that. 
You want God's blessing on that. Some of you are in a transition and, and you need new vocation. Some of you are in a, in a place where you, you've got to make a very big decisions in your business, maybe hires or fires. Some of you are in a place where you don't know if you're going to stay in one industry or another industry. You, you may be in a place where you're going through crisis right now in some way, or, or maybe you just need to, you're just saying, look, Joel, I just, I, I want to make sure that I'm connected in and I'm creating, you're talking about creating perpetual harvest. I want to live in perpetual harvest. Why is the number tithe? Why is 10 in tithe? Tithe literally means 10th. If you don't give a 10th, it's not actually a tithe. It's important to understand that. Tithe means 10th, okay? Why is a 10th important to God? Well, it's connected into the Jewish culture and the meaning of numbers. And 10 in the Jewish culture has a couple different meanings. Number one, 10 is the number for a test. So when you give a tenth, you pass the test of money. When you give a tenth, you pass a test. There's ten commandments. There were ten plagues. Ten symbolizes test. The second thing that ten represents in the Jewish culture is redemption. And when you give a tenth, it redeems the 90%. It makes the 90% left over blessed. That's why it's in Scripture. That's why it started off in the Garden of Eden, talking about bringing the first fruits. That's why Abraham gave a tenth. That's why Isaac gave a tenth. That's why Jacob gave a tenth. All of this before the law, guys. It wasn't about the Old Testament. It wasn't about the law or, 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 or the, the Old Covenant. All of these things that I've described to you, they were before the law existed. It's about a kingdom principle of tenth. And it's a powerful principle. And I want to pray and believe that some of you, if you've never come to that place of faith, my goal is to give 20%. That's my goal. But a tenth is the least I would ever give. Why? Because I want to make sure that I'm passing the test in my own heart with money. And I want to make sure that I'm redeeming the future of everything that I do. Because it's a redemptive and it's a, and it's a test, right? And so it's very important. But I have goals that are bigger than that. I think we should always stretch ourselves to give more and more and more. And if I could tell you something, my wife stretched the heck out of me once. She stretches me a lot, but my wife stretched me financially because she owned her own business. And she said, Joel, I feel like the Lord's telling me that he wants me to tithe on the gross of my whole business. And I'm like, that's not even in the Bible. <laughs> I didn't have faith for it. She did. I said, what, what about you have bills first? You have, that's not your salary. It's not, that's not your increase yet. Your increase is after all your bills and whatever and all that kind of stuff. Then, then, cause then you pay yourself a salary and that's your actual income. She's like, it doesn't matter. This is what God says. Can I tell you that the year that she, and I just submitted to her cause I do that often. Her business tripled that year. Her business tripled that year. So for me and my business now, with my winology business on the side, I give a tenth of the gross of my business. Why? Because I've seen it work. And I'm watching it work again. See, it's not about, I'm not going to nickel and dime with God. Because going between profit margins and whatever, it's a small amount. It's too small for me to, to, to try to finagle something with God. Just give it. And God always blesses. He always blesses. He's a really good God. I pray that your faith is stretched today. I pray that your faith is stretched today. I'm not talking about, look, look, if you're just not there yet, you're not there yet, and that's okay. That's between you and the Lord. That's between you and Jesus. But I'm, I'm, I'm committed to always teach you the true gospel. Yeah. 
I'm never going to hold back. I'm never going to be a sissy. I'm never going to be afraid to talk about anything that needs to be talked about. We're going to do the real deal here. Amen. At Oaks Church, we're going to talk about real stuff. And I'm not going to be afraid of people leaving because I talked about what the Bible says that will actually unlock the key to your future and your destiny. I would be doing you a disservice if I didn't tell you this truth. So I'll risk offending someone to set someone else free. Amen? Amen. Come on. He's good. He's good. Well, we couldn't have done this in the other place, huh? All right, just checking. Let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, I know there are different people in this room that are in different places, positions, transitions, business deals, hires and fires and, and moves inside of their organizations. Father, I ask you that you connect your word to their heart and that you give them supernatural faith, supernatural faith connected to generosity and that you would provoke in them and a ridiculous faith for, for being generous in all that they are, in every part of who they are. Make them more generous. Give them more faith. Father, and give them clarity. As they give, Father, you send their seed. You send their gift out ahead of them. As they give, Father, let that gift go ahead of them and let that gift open doors. Father, let them learn to move and to live in a place of, of perpetual giving, perpetual giving, so that they can live in a place of perpetual harvest. And Father, I thank you for a peace that would settle upon them right now in Jesus' name. A supernatural peace that would settle upon them because of your faith. And all fear would be washed away because of the release of your love upon them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Open the door, Father. Open the door. Make the way. Their gift makes room for them. It makes a way for them. Brings them into the presence of the great. Some of you, some of you have been waiting. You need a divine connection. You need a divine connection. And God is going to use, he's going to use your gift, the gift of who you are, the gift of how you give yourself to the world around you. He's going to use it as a gift to bring you into the presence of the great, to bring you before great men. And doors will open for you. This is a principle from scripture. Doors will open for you because of your generosity, period because of the practice that you're putting in place, because of your perpetual goodness with what you have and who you are. Doors will open. There are right alignments coming. There are right connections coming. There are right relationships coming. God is aligning the stars for you and he's bringing the people into your life that you need to meet. Be the friendliest, most generous, most loving, most forgiving, most merciful person you could be and watch the stars align for your destiny. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Listen, if there's anybody that needs to get right with God right now, just get right with Him right now. Just say, Father, in the name of Jesus, forgive me. Make me clean. Wash me. I put my faith in you, Jesus. I belong to you. I belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us today. 